Welcome to Brightline Living, the official podcast of Brightline Eating, where we focus on living a life free from food obsession and filled with peace and unstoppability. Each week, Dr. Susan Pierce Thompson, New York Times bestselling author and founder of Brightline Eating, will cover topics ranging from food addiction to fascinating science and how to live a bright life. Now here's Susan with the audio version of this week's blog. Hey there, it's Susan Pierce Thompson and welcome to the weekly vlog. In 1951, at Swarthmore College, Solomon Ash conducted, or maybe that's the year he published, a study that has become absolutely famous, listed in every intro psych book. You may have learned about it in school, and it's a study on conformity. And the procedure that he used is still used to study conformity in all sorts of variations and iterations. Essentially, here's what he did. He brought in eight male college undergraduate students. They thought that they were going to do a a perception task. Seven of them were actually actors. They were in on it. Only one of the subjects was a real subject. And this was before computers. They all sat in a little semicircle and they looked straight ahead and Solomon Ash presented two cards, one with a single line and the other with three choices of lines, A, B, C, of different lengths. And the question was really simple. Which of these three lines is exactly as long as that line? And in control trials where he just had one subject alone and said, you know, which one is the answer, less than 1% error rate. Nobody gets these wrong. It's like basically asking, is black black or is it white? It's super, super straightforward. People make errors even on, you know, name a circle, name a triangle, name a rectangle. So you never get 100% on everything, but less than 1% error rate. These were not ambiguous line lengths, right? So this long versus this long versus this short versus one that was exactly the same. And the one subject that was in on it always went last. They were strategically sat in the last seat. And then all the people, the eight, were all introduced to the experiment the same. It looked like they were all sort of newly there, even though seven were in on it. And those seven were instructed how to respond really carefully. For the first two trials, they all gave the correct answer. On the third trial, they all gave the same incorrect answer. And then the question was, what would that last person do? Would they call black-white, essentially? Would they give a, an obviously wrong answer because all seven people ahead of them had said that same wrong answer? Or would they defy the group, not conform, and give the truth, which is, no, I don't think so. I think it's actually that one, right? So there were 18 trials, And of the 18 trials, um, most of them were strategically set up to be where all of the people gave a wrong answer, but not all of them. And the first two, everyone was correct to sort of grease the skids. Um, So what the results showed was that 
5% of subjects, 5% of subjects always went with the crowd, conformed 100% of the time, just 5%. 25% of subjects never conformed. They always gave the truth. They're like, I don't know what's wrong with these people's vision, but the answer is actually C, right? They always gave the truth, 25% of people. 75% of the subjects on some of the trials, at least, went with the crowd, felt the pressure, and just felt what it sounded like to say this incorrect answer that everyone else was giving. Solomon Ash's conformity studies became very, very famous. Um, in that decade and the decade after, there were candid camera TV episodes where they hid a camera in an elevator and they had uh, people in the elevator who were in on it. You can YouTube these, they're hilarious. Uh, people in the elevator who were in on it and uh, someone would, would come into the elevator and stand there and then on cue, all the other people would turn <laughs> and face the back of the elevator, all of them together. And then the person is there going, whoa, what just happened? But as they're riding up the elevator, the feeling of being out of step with everybody, you know, three or four other people who are now facing the back got so nerve wracking that the person kind of like, <laughs> and you could hear the, the laughter of the audience as they watch this videotape. It's really quite funny. I suggest that you uh, look it up on YouTube. Anyway, the idea of conformity got very popular. Here's the thing. Society has norms around how to eat, how to eat socially, how to eat in public. And anyone who is striving to be healthy in this day and age is going to need to experiment with doing something different than the majority of people are doing, than what's expected to do, not falling into lockstep. And it's hard. It's, we're wired in to want to go with the crowd. It feels uncomfortable to be the only person saying no thank you, to be the only person saying I don't eat that, to be the only person, um, you know, who packs a lunch when everybody else is, you know, going to eat at the vending machine or whatever they're doing, right? But if you look around, you know, it's no mark of health to conform to a profoundly disordered societal way of eating, right? It's no mark of intelligence. It's no mark of sanity. It's no mark of um, authorship. And it's really, really hard to buck the crowd. And so I just, in this vlog, I wanted to touch on the topic of conformity and how difficult it is. We are herd animals, right? We have um, ingrained in us the desire to belong. So this is all a really big deal if you think about it in the context of our modern food environment. I mean, some horrifying studies have come out recently showing the percentage of foods or energy intake that people are consuming that comes from so-called ultra-processed foods. These foods are not really food. They're industrial compositions in factories from ingredients, many of which aren't even derived from any food ever. They came from a lab from the beginning, right? And they, you know, you know the foods, right? They come in packages. They've got ingredients lists that are this long. You read the ingredients list. You don't recognize two thirds of the things on there. And there's like 40, 
some odd ingredients in one little thing, right? I mean, I don't know, 40, but a lot of ingredients. So uh, a recent British medical journal study looked at energy intake in the United States and found that 57.9% of the calories of the energy intake that people are consuming in the United States comes from ultra-processed foods. Perhaps more disheartening is that another study looking at the food intake of children and adolescents shows that they're doing even more poorly with two-thirds, two-thirds of their food intake coming from ultra-processed foods. Not surprising. Look at kids' menus in restaurants, right? We're enculturating them to think that only ultra-processed foods are foods. And frankly, they're yummy, right? Why shouldn't kids prefer them when we expose them to that as the norm? So when we've got a normative environment, a standard baseline of expectation in our society, that that's what food is, right? That there are certain foods that are served at a kid's birthday party. You know the ones, right? And I'm not even talking about the dessert part. I'm talking about like the main meal part, right? It's standard, right? These are norms that people conform to. And if you're going to do bright line eating or really frankly live healthy in this world, right? Where 70% of people in the United States and in most Western countries are overweight or obese. China and India lead the world in numbers of people who are overweight or obese. If you're going to live healthy, you're going to have to not conform. You're going to have to be one of the 25% of people who always right? Speak out and say, well, I, you know, they all said that they all did that, but that's not what I do. That's not what I'm saying, right? That's not how I see it. And it's not that easy. It's hard. It's hard to not conform. Why is it so hard? If you think about it, think about where you're sitting right now, the climate of the place that you're sitting in. Imagine trying to live there thousands of years ago. Just think about that for a second. Where would you get your food? How would you survive season after season after season around the year? Now think about doing it without a clan or a tribe. On your own. If you meditate on that deep enough, it starts to get really horrifying, right? No grocery store to go to, right? Let alone a drive-thru, right? So you start to get a sense of why conformity is such an intense instinct, right? Because belonging is so necessary. Belonging is so necessary. And that's some of the value of belonging here at Brightline Eating. You, you belong here. We want you here. And we do our food the way we do it. And when you belong here, you've got a whole community of people backing you the way you do it, calling out that line for being exactly as long as it is, and you've got the whole chorus of us behind you as you pack your lunch and bring it to work. So conformity in a culture like ours really is something to ponder because this is not a a norm. This is not a typical standard that we want to be going along with if we want to live healthy in this world. So conformity is good food for thought. That's the weekly vlog. I'll see you next week. Thanks for listening to Brightline Living. Please post a review and subscribe to our channel. Interested in learning more about Brightline Eating? 
Visit ble.life slash podcast to find out more. ble.life slash podcast. Have a bright day.